But first, speaking of Canada and the United States, is it time to reopen the Canada-U.S. border? Tourism operators in Canada making the case they want to save the summer tourism season. Let's get that border open. Have a listen to this now. This is David McKenna from the Tourism Industry Association of Canada. Have a listen. As you can see by the presence on the screen, we stand united as an industry collectively representing over 225,000 businesses and millions of employees across this country. Due to the COVID-19 pandemic, the Canada-U.S. border has been closed for over a year. The tourism industry was the first hit by the pandemic, the hardest hit, and will be the last to recover. The industry has been crushed, and we can't lose another summer tourist season. Okay, David McKenna speaking there. Breaking news on this file now. Global News reporting this morning. The federal government set to announce later this morning fully vaccinated Canadian travelers would no longer need to spend 14 days in quarantine on arriving home. Looks like the Fed's getting set to wind down that mandatory hotel quarantine program as well as more and more people get the second vaccine. Let's discuss now with my guest Royce Twin. Royce is the CEO of Tourism Vancouver and I'm pleased to welcome him back to the show. Royce, thanks a lot for coming on. Thanks for having me, Mike. Good morning. Okay, let's talk about the tourism sector right now. Like, how bad is it right now, and how desperate are you guys to get that border open? Well, it uh, nothing has made our industry more visible than its disappearance. And let's talk about wow. what's disappeared. Uh, visitors spend, we've lost uh, over $9 billion, a loss of over $5 billion in GDP, a loss of about $3 billion in taxes to government, and about 70,000 jobs have been lost, and uh, about $4 billion worth of wages have been lost to workers. So it's a significant impact and part of the Metro Vancouver economy, and that's what those numbers represent. Wow, those are some big numbers. How big is the American component to that, like American visitors? Sure. Well, American, uh, 60% of our visitation uh, coming to Vancouver here is, is from the U.S., uh, wow. same day and overnight. Add international into this picture, and now you're up to 46%. So it's pretty significant. Uh, and our Metro Vancouver visitor economy was valued at $14 billion. So if you remove the spend of the U.S., you remove the spend of international, it's pretty significant because the industry here in Vancouver has built up uh, because of that business. Okay, what is the tourism industry seeking here from government in terms of the border? It's a very similar ask to what we asked the provincial government. What's the plan? What are the milestones? Yeah. What are the key dates? How do we prepare for something that has never been scenario planned, and that was a global shutdown of the industry? Therefore, how do you reopen an industry? Because what we don't want to have happen is a switch uh, gets flipped, and suddenly we're working off the back of our heels to try to recover and rebuild business. Right. So you want you want a roadmap and some indications when this is going to happen. That, that's, exa- it's a, that's it. That's yeah, exactly yeah. it. Yeah. And when would you like to see it? Like, when would you like to see the border reopen again? I guess this is the question. Well, and that's a tricky question because we recognize there's so many components to reopening a border. Some things perhaps we've never thought about. Uh, we think June 21st would be ideal, but recognizing that that actually might be a little bit early, meaning that uh, businesses need time to uh, bring uh, staff back on. They need to retrain them. They need to uh, set them up with the proper safety protocols. All of those kinds of things, we're talking about airlines reestablishing routes, 
Um, we're talking about international trade contacts that contracts that bring uh, visitors over here for uh, for business and those kinds of things. Our, our conferences, events. There's a whole industry underneath us that supports that needs time to spool up. Okay, there's lots of indications, Royce, that the federal government looking closely at some sort of reopening plan, not giving out a whole lot of information to the public, which I know is frustrating to you and, and your sector. But it looks like it sounds like there's lots of going on behind the scenes between Canada and the United States to get some sort of plan. I mean, we all know this is inevitable. The border will reopen. I guess it's just a question of timing. And some people are looking at, I mean, you mentioned June 21st. Others are looking at July or later. Like, what if the border remains closed through through July? What would that mean to the tourism sector? Well, certainly an impact because we lose that international visitor. So if we think about a Canadian visitor spending, say, on a day basis, $100, a U.S. visitor would spend 500 So you lose yeah. that impact of the spend. And that, the other thing to keep in mind is, is that Canadians traveling Canada will not make up for the difference. So you, you, you're just moving money around the country, which is important. Don't get me wrong. Very important. But you're losing new money that comes back into this economy. So July, August, even September, anything that starts opening up this border uh, would make a huge difference. All right. Speaking of Royce Twin from Tourism Vancouver, we heard the breaking news here this morning, Royce. We expect an announcement from the federal government here very soon about allowing a measure to allow fully vaccinated Canadian travelers no longer would be required to quarantine when, when they arrive home. Looks like the Fed's also going to drop that controversial hotel quarantine program as well. Like you mentioned, okay, I guess that would help a bit, but that still doesn't solve the problem of getting American tourists back here, correct? No, no, it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't solve that. And I, I guess the thing to think about when we think about tourists, we just think about a leisure visitor. There's a whole other part of this industry that we don't often think about, and that are conferences, citywide conferences, you know, a thousand people show up in our city. We've got this amazing uh, convention here, uh, center here in Vancouver, and that's big business for us as well. So that's a billion dollars annually right now that we lost last year because we couldn't have conventions come back. So right. business travel, convention travel is also critical. Okay, you uh, outlined some very dire numbers there at the start of our conversation of just the, the hit that this industry has taken. And I know the government has brought in programs to help businesses, help tour operators through this, but I know the clock is running on some of those programs, right? Like some of them are running out or maybe they're not adequate? Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, The clock is running and in talking to our operators, a lot of small businesses make up this industry. They don't want to take on any more debt. They want to get their doors open and start reversing the trend of grants and subsidies to now getting the cash register to ring. And I completely understand that. They want to get people back to work. And that's the concern. Will they be able to manage the debt load going forward as a result? Okay, Royce, thanks for coming on with your thoughts today. We'll see what happens here in the days ahead. Great. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. All right. Welcome back to the show. Let's keep talking about reopening that Canada-U.S. border and the developments at this hour. There's a news conference happening right now with Federal Health Minister Patty Haidu, also the Federal Intergovernmental Affairs Minister uh, Dominic LeBlanc at this event right now. And the breaking news at this hour is federal government confirming Canada considering considering allowing fully vaccinated travelers uh, to skip that hotel quarantine. Uh, looking at us, looking at this for early July, according to Minister 
LeBlanc. So maybe not as far as some were hoping here. The government would go here. Still some caution about reopening this border. Let me play this here for you. This is Federal fin- uh, federal Health Minister Patty Hyde sp- speaking just a few minutes ago. What is currently being considered as the first step in this approach is to allow fully vaccinated individuals currently permitted to enter Canada to do so without the requirement to stay in government-authorized accommodations. Travelers would have to be fully vaccinated 14 days or more prior to their arrival, and they will still be required to have a negative pre-departure PCR test result and required to be tested on upon arrival with a suitable quarantine plan to wait for their day one test result. Okay, Federal Health Minister Patty Haidu speaking just a few moments ago with the federal government uh, looking at early July to relax some of those quarantine rules for Canadian travelers returning to Canada. Okay, let's discuss now. Now, you may know that members of National Hockey League playoff teams are free to cross the border without having to go through a quarantine process here. So for whichever Canadian team makes it to the next round of the NHL playoffs, uh, the federal government giving members of those teams a special exemption here on the quarantine rules. They can travel back and forth across the border here as they compete for the Stanley Cup. What about other elite athletes, though, especially ones who are preparing for an Olympic Games, which we're told is still going to go forward? Let's discuss now with my guest, Dominic Gauthier. Dominic is the co-founder of B210. It's a Canadian group that assists elite athletes. He's a former Canadian Olympian himself, competing in freestyle skiing. And I'm pleased to welcome him to the show. Dominic, thanks a lot for coming on. Hey, good morning. Thanks for having me. Okay, Dominic, what do you think about National Hockey League players being allowed to travel freely across the border here for the Stanley Cup playoffs. I mean, that does not apply to other elite athletes, though, right? It's only the NHL. Is that correct? Correct. So if I just take your question in a silo, I'm not against what they decided to do for the NHL players whatsoever. I, I, I think it makes sense. That's a personal opinion. But the fact that they did that for the NHL players and when our Olympic athletes Everybody working in sports for months, we've been begging, asking for some sort of a compromise, not to get rid of the quarantine, but some sort of a compromise so that our athletes could still train in decent conditions while having to travel back and forth to earn their qualification spots. And they never listened. Ottawa didn't want to hear about it. So when we see this, yes, we're all upset right now. Okay, you've got a lot of elite Canadian athletes are training right now for the Tokyo Olympics, right? Which are still set to go ahead, correct? Yep. Yeah. And exactly. do do many of them? Do many Olympians? I mean, you're a former Olympian yourself. Would they train strictly in Canada, or would it be typical for for elite Canadian athletes representing Canada at the Olympics to, to travel across the border for their training routines? Yeah, you would need to to travel a lot. Like, think of uh, the the best image we can give. It's a uh, the athlete Damien Warner, who's probably one of our best chances for gold or silver in Tokyo. And um, Damien would normally be training down south because obviously the Catalan, you can imagine all of the events, so it's very tough to do it here in Canada. But, but he did. He, he was able to train in an arena in London that they modified and they found ways. So our athletes have been creative in finding ways. But yes, to your question, they would normally need to travel and train in much better conditions and have to travel mm-hmm. for points for qualification standards that they need to meet. So there was all of that. So the physiologists and coaches that work with our athletes, oh, man, it was such a puzzle. It was a headache for them. But 
you know, they, they knew that uh, the pandemic is a headache for everybody. So we were okay to deal with it. Not ideal, but okay to deal with it. But of course, that came with so much stress. The athletes were uh, are very nervous as we speak because they, they haven't been training on a, on a level playing field with the rest of the world. And now we see that within our own country, uh, some favor those NHL players for an exemption. It's just unacceptable. Right. Okay. Now you mentioned that you support the NHL deal that they brought in the yeah. special exemption. You would like to see it expanded for other top level athletes. I mean, if you take a look at the the rules and, and the government pro- protocols that have been brought down for the Stanley Cup playoffs, so this would include testing of these of these hockey players before and after they arrive and cross the border. They would be confined to their hotels and the arena. Um, Canadian-based players would be allowed to stay at their home, but they're expected to quarantine, effectively quarantine their home, stay in a bubble, basically. Yeah. W- would you like to see the same rules for, let's say, Canadian Olympic athletes when they travel? They would, would they be willing to follow the yeah, same restrictions? I mean, yeah, that would be a start. And you know what? I know they're working on something like that, um, where athletes could be staying in some of those sports institutes or a, a hotel nearby, and then they could train uh, properly. The problem is the games are starting in seven weeks, right? Like, so it's, mm. it's, it's a bit too little, too late right now. Um, if we had done that, yeah, like two months ago, create that kind of bubble or even a month ago would have made a major difference. So, for example, Damon Water, who's just back from Austria last week. Well, he had to quarantine. He's still in it right now. Melissa Bishop, the runner, he doesn't meet her. Same thing. She had to go to San Diego. Uh, and actually, in both their, the, the, in their cases, they, they, they had to travel to meet the Olympic standard. And uh, and now they're spending two weeks without training an ideal uh, environment. So that would have been okay. Now, don't get me wrong, I hope they still do that, and I think they will. But it's, it's a bit bittersweet when you know that they kind of did that because they had to do it for the NHL. So I think our athletes right now, they, they feel like second-class athletes, uh, to, 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 to say the least. Okay, speaking of Dominic Othier, he's a former Olympic freestyle skier representing Canada, and he's uh, lobbying to have Canadian athletes being able to travel across the border. So, Dominic, when people are listening to this and they might be thinking, well, what is so special about NHL hockey players or, or Olympic athletes that they should get special treatment and be allowed to travel across the border when the vast majority of the other Canadians are still not allowed to travel, separated from families. They, they can't, they potentially can't go visit. They may have business contacts down there or own property, and they can't travel, but elite athletes should be allowed to travel. How, would you, how do you respond to that? Like, yeah. How do you justify it? No, I, I, I totally understand it, and that's why everyone in, in sport on the Olympic side were being pretty quiet about it, right? Like, and same thing when they offered, or when there was a discussion, if, if athletes, going to Tokyo should be getting their vaccine before other people? And the answer was no, no way. Like they'll just be in line like everyone else, according to their ages. With the quarantine, you're you're totally right. Like some people have lived and still do live horror horror story where they can't see their loved ones or maybe, you know, at the end of their lives or whatever. So obviously uh, I I, I, I totally hear that. The Olympics are coming obviously once every four years. Uh, We were not, you know, asking again for uh, a removal of the quarantine, but a week would have made a big difference, to be honest. And I think that's what would have been ideal is doing all the strict, obviously, follow up measure testing all of this 
And then after a week, if you're negative as an athlete, maybe you're allowed to go to the training arena, training rink, training stadium. Um, I think that would have been fair and not necessarily unfair to everybody else. But you know what? Like, yeah. I, I hear your point and I hear everybody's frustration right now. And again, I would not be talking to you this morning if the NHL didn't get that special privilege. Yeah, right. Uh, what about the Olympics? Like you mentioned that the Tokyo Olympics, boy, that's coming up fast. Did you say seven weeks away now? Seven weeks. Yeah, wow. seven weeks in two days. Yeah, now that's coming up very quickly here. A lot of people have been calling for those Tokyo Olympics to be canceled because of because of COVID. And in fact, there were some polls even done in Japan that suggested most people in Japan didn't want to see the games go ahead. But you think the games should continue, right? Yeah, hundred percent. And I, yeah. I've been actually I was coaching the Japanese team for four years uh, for the wow. Torino Olympics, and um, you know I know them enough. And obviously, when I saw the people on the street with signs. I, I had to really question what was happening. So I went further than the headline, to be honest. And when that headline went around the world from the uh, Asahi Shimbun, uh, which said that 83% of the Japanese people did not want the Olympics this summer, it was a bit, a bit flawed. Like the, the question had three answers. One was, uh, you know, first of all, do you want the Olympics to happen this summer? Do you want them to be canceled? Or would you like them next year? But next year was not an option. It is not an option. <laughs> So therefore, yeah. of course, people answered, well, maybe next year. And then they added those two uh, group, which said not this summer and want to push it next year. And it made 83. But that's a bit of a BS okay. because <laughs> it, it's not an option, right? If we'd have one and cancel or not, I can guarantee you that everybody I speak to in Japan right now would say it's not ideal. We're not excited. We don't have the Olympic bug like we normally do before the games, like we had here in Vancouver. But you know what? We're committed to this, and we're Japanese people. We're proud, and we're going to make this happen, and it's going to happen. And not the greatest Olympics as far as, you know, ambiance and all of this, and the experience will be very terrible for our athletes, but everyone would tell you we'd rather have this, this happening in empty stadiums, in quarantine bubbles, in a very, very uh, dull uh, ambiance than not happening at all because they've sacrificed their lives. In many cases, they spent a lot of money to do that and represent our country. So it, it, it will be, you know, something that will be different, but it will be also a great demonstration, I think, of what the Japanese people can do. And, and it will not be the most fair games because people have trained in different conditions. But you know what? Everyone is cool with that. We'd rather be on the start line than not. Okay, Dominic, thank you for coming on today with your thoughts on it. Appreciate it a lot. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Okay, thank you. All right, welcome back to the show. Let's talk about joints for jabs now in Washington State. Our next-door neighbors looking to fire up the COVID vaccination rate. So why not fire up a free joint if you get the shot? The Joints for Jabs program was announced this week by the Washington State Liquor and Cannabis Board, and I'm very pleased to welcome the director of the board right now, Rick Garza. Rick, thanks a lot for coming on. Good morning, Mike. Good to be with you. Okay, Rick, man, this idea has like flashed around the world. I'm reading coverage of this in the United Kingdom, all across the United States. I mean, you got everybody talking about this, this joints for jabs uh, plan. How did you guys come up with this idea? Well, Mike, we didn't come up with it as far as the agency. We had requests from three different cannabis retailers uh, in our state, from Spokane to Seattle to Vancouver, suggesting that we allow this um, this to occur, which and you may be aware, uh, several weeks ago, we also provided an allowance for breweries and wineries uh, if 
folks got a vaccination to provide a complimentary um, beer, a pint of beer or wine. And I'm guessing these retailers were thinking, these cannabis retailers were thinking, remember, our focus and the purpose of the program is to get our Washingtonians vaccinated. Right. And our governor has issued a number of creative incentives to support vaccinations. This is just another one of those, Mike. Okay, who came up with the uh, with the name there? Joint joints for jabs. Who who thought of that? Well, that's really so. I heard yesterday. There's a TV reporter on the NBC affiliate King Five in Seattle. His name is Chris Daniels, and he's taking. Uh, he's saying he's the one that came up with it. Now I have oh. no way of verifying <laughs> that, but I'll just let you know that's what I hear. <laughs> okay, I also heard tokes for pokes. I don't know if that was ever considered. Actually, no. We would okay. not have considered the, the term or the message there. That was done by others. No, okay. In, in the industry. Well, Joints for Jobs is certainly a catchy name for sure. So now how will this work? Like, as I understand it, you actually would have to receive the COVID-19 vac- vaccination right at the at the store, right at the pot shop, right? Like right, right where you go, like your cannabis retailer. Is that the way it will work? Well, actually, a couple of weeks ago, one of our retailers, Stacy Peterson out of Spokane, uh, had come to our board meeting and suggested that she had a community clinic that could provide the vaccine and could do it in conjunction with their retail space because Stacy has enough room in her shop to be able to do that. So that's, that's where the idea came from. It wasn't ours. It was one of our licensees who said, I'd like to you know, do a, a, provide some uh, opportunity here for people to get vaccinated. And that's right. where it came from. How many cannabis retail outlets are there in the state? Well, there are just under 500 that are wow. opening open and operating. Yep. And, and what percentage of those do you think will participate in this program? Because that's a, that's a bit of an involved process to set up a vaccination clinic in your store, I imagine. Yeah, I, I really don't know. Obviously, you know, Mike, this is voluntary and optional right. for our licensees. What we've done is approve it to occur as far as the complimentary uh, joint that's provided. We're asking our licensees to work directly with public health in their communities to determine how that would happen. But we just provide the allowance by the state, and then they work with right. their local health departments to figure out how to make that happen. Right. Speaking to Rick Garza, he is the director of the Washington State Liquor and Cannabis Board about the Joints for Jabs program announced this week. Um, Rick, has there been any pushback or criticism of the program since it was announced? I've seen a little, some criticism online saying, should we really be doing this, incentivizing people by offering them drugs or booze in order to get a vaccination? These are legal commodities, remember, Mike. I, yeah. I think sometimes it's interesting that people didn't have that or, or didn't seem to raise the same concern level with respect to alcohol, but they have uh, to some extent with cannabis. And maybe just because yeah. it's new, uh, new to the market in the last nine years. But, well, but to be totally transparent, yeah, the prevention community in our state uh, thought it was a bad idea. Uh, and we understand why. Uh, but like so many issues that we face as regulators, it's rare that we get full agreement on the topic. Again, right. one thing I would really be clear about, this is for a limited period of time, from June 7th to July 12th. And, and again, 
you know, you think about the health aspect of us. We're trying to save lives here by getting all of our folks vaccinated. Right now in the state, I think we're at about 65% of our residents have had at least one shot. And the governor's, um, you know, is looking at a 70% vaccination rate so that we can move out of this COVID that we've been in for quite some time now. And so this is really an effort to get our people vaccinated. Um, And yet, yet we understand the concerns that public health and prevention may have about uh, providing uh, a complimentary product to the public. Yeah, and it's interesting, Rick, that as you mentioned, there are a number of incentives on offer in Washington State in order to encourage people to get the vaccine. And you mentioned that you're around like 65%. Is there any indication that uh, vaccine hesitancy is a problem in the state right now? Or are you guys kind of hitting a wall when it comes to convincing people to get the vaccine, and that's why we're seeing these incentives? Well, I, you, that would make perfect sense. In fact, yeah. that 21 to 34-year-old age group is one that I believe we're seeing um, a lower rate of vaccination. And so part of the incentive with this is to address that that, that age group. But uh, it, the governor last week uh, issued a number of incentives. One was um, uh, uh, if you are vaccinated, you're going to get entered into a state lottery for a chance to win cash prizes, um, discover passes for state parks. There's a number of incentives that are being created, again, to try to get as many people vaccinated as possible in the next month. Okay, Rick, I also, we reached out to the Washington State Cannabis Business Association, Cannabis Washington, to get their, their take on it. I spoke to one of their people yesterday who pointed out that they they were hoping that the program, they might be able to give out a free joint if a customer just presented proof of a vaccine rather than being required to actually hold a, a physical vaccine clinic on site in the store. And, and they complained that it, it appears that some breweries in Washington State are able to give out a free beer by just showing proof of proof of vaccine they don't have to hold a vaccine clinic is that correct like they were saying well there's a double standard here between cannabis and and booze well i think part of it had to do with concerns that we heard from the prevention community remember if i go to a winery or a brewery it's a face-to-face transaction i'm consuming the product in that store there were folks who were concerned that if we do what you said that people would simply be able to walk from retail store to retail store with their vaccination card and get free complimentary products. So there was some concern with that. Plus, what we heard from our licensee, specifically the one in Spokane, was we're willing to do this by bringing uh, a vaccination site to our premises. And then we're we're assured that people are actually getting the vaccination. And and then, you know, because remember, it's not about promoting cannabis or promoting alcohol it's about people getting vaccinated right. and so wh- wh- one of the things that we did um is it, the the taxes and fees are very high with respect to cannabis 37 percent excise tax uh on the customer when they purchase it plus an eight to twelve percent retail sales tax because it's complimentary on the alcohol side we require the taxes and fees to be paid by the retailer, even though it's given complimentary. On the cannabis mm. side, we gave them a break because of the high uh, level of taxation, and they they will not have to pay that uh, to the state. So we are giving 
uh, some leeway to the cannabis industry. Another thing, just to be uh, blunt and frank about this, our cannabis industry has not struggled through the pandemic. Their sales have increased between 20 and 30% last year through the pandemic. Many of the on-premise licensees that we allowed the, the free um, uh, pint of beer or glass of wine or distilled product have struggled mightily through the pandemic. The hospitality right. industry has been you know, devastated from closure to restrictions in ways that on-premise licensees, grocery stores of alcohol, and the cannabis industry have not had. And so part of this was to also assist them. But remember, the real purpose of the program is to get Washingtonians vaccinated. Okay, well, you certainly got a lot of attention with it, Rick. I really appreciate your time uh, being a guest on the show here today. Thanks a lot for coming on. You bet, Mike. All right, welcome back to the show as we continue talking about the Joints for Jabs program just announced south of the border in Washington State. Get the COVID vaccine, get a free joint in Washington State. Lots of phone calls here. Let me go real quickly to Dana Larson, cannabis rights activist. Hey, Dana. Hey. Thanks a lot for coming out. What do you think about what they're doing in Washington? Do you think we should do the same thing here? Yeah, I think it's a fun idea, and it's uh, it's too bad that we're not supposed to do that kind of stuff under the rules here. But uh, they've sucked all the joy out of legal cannabis in B.C. But, yeah, I think it's a great idea. Yeah, so it's illegal here, right? If you tried to do that here, what, they'd uh, come and arrest you, or what would happen? I mean, it's, it's not illegal to give away cannabis as an individual, but if you've got a licensed cannabis shop, yeah. you can't give away cannabis. If you did, you could lose your license. Right. Same for booze, right? Can't give away free booze either. Well, you can give away a little sample booze. I've seen that in liquor stores before where you can have little tastes and stuff like that, but you can't do that with cannabis. Okay, interesting. Okay, let's go to some phone calls here, Dana, see what people think about it. Denise on the line in Vancouver. Hi, Denise. Hi, Mike. Um, I think it's a really sad state of affairs that we have to bribe people with a joint or a beer in order for them to get a vaccination that will save lives, save the economy, save the world, get life back to normal, return our uh, frontline workers to some semblance of a normal job, yet we have to bribe them with a joint or a beer. When when I got my polio shot, nobody bribed my parents to get me that shot. So I think it's really um, pathetic, and it shows the state of mind that some people have. And it's not a good state of mind. And I really hope that we don't go down that road. And that as British Columbians and Canadians and human beings, we will all stand up and get our shot and then go home and smoke a nice joint like I did with my husband when we got our first shot, (laughs) you know, and have a beer and celebrate that way without having to say, give me something or I won't do it because I'm a three-year-old petulant, selfish child. Mm. Okay, Denise, thank you for the call. Well, I I spoke to Rick Garza, uh, the director of the Washington State Cannabis Board, uh, just before you, Dana, and he did point out they have received some criticism around giving away free marijuana uh, south of the border there from uh, the anti-marijuana community. What do you think of that? Well, I think anything that helps encourage people to get vaccinated is probably a good thing. I very much doubt anybody who's never tried cannabis before is going to, you know, start uh, with that opportunity. So I think it's just a fun thing to get people who might be a little reluctant to come on board. Okay, Kathy on the line in Delta. Hi, Kathy. Oh, hi there. 
I was going to say pretty much the same thing. It really is a sad state of affairs. But uh, whether it's a sports events or whatever, they're just trying to get everybody to do the right thing and uh, get everybody vaccinated. And um, But, yeah, it is a sad, kind of a sad state of affairs. Well, it is kind of the reality. Thank you for the call. And you heard the official I spoke to earlier saying that Washington State is around 65% vaccine rate, and they're trying to get it up to 70 and that's why they're they're pulling out all the stops. They're offering lottery tickets, free beer, free marijuana, free all kinds of incentives being offered because they're so desperate to get people vaccinated. It's kind of like it sounds like they've hit a bit of a wall down there. Let's go to Donna on the line in Vancouver. Hi, Donna. Well, hi, Mike. Hi. Yeah, I totally disagree with any kind of incentive to receive this shot. We never had to do that for like the previous caller said for polio or regular vaccination for the flu but this is a dangerous dangerous shot we're talking here terrible uh, look it know. up you're getting the spike protein into your system no, no, no. no it's not dangerous donna come on now i mean you know we got these anti-vaxxers out there they're around there don't it's, it's not dangerous i just took my kids my youngest son to get vaccinated yesterday i got no problem getting the vaccine pat new west hey pat hi uh first of all i completely agree with Denise, but I want to bring something else up. If, if it's been out there, I have not heard it. Uh, if we get our double vaccinations and adult, as adults, we go across the border, what happens to our children 12 and under? Can they not go? How will they deal with that? That is still, th- thank you, Pat, for the call. There was a news conference in Ottawa this morning that where the federal government indicated that they're going to start to relax some of the border restrictions for people who are double vaccinated. Right now, there's no r- requirement for children to get vaccinated. In fact, in fact, the vaccine has not been approved for children. So it would appear, it would appear you would be, and that's the same rule in the United States, by the way. So it would, it's very likely that you, if you're double vaccinated, you would be able to travel with your children across the border. That would appear to be what's coming, but that is still being developed. But thank you for the call. Hey, Dana, thank you for coming on today. Appreciate it. Hey, my pleasure. Thank you. All right, welcome back to the show. Ever since we learned about the discovery at the Kamloops Residential School, Canadians have been wanting to learn, wanting to help. Many people have purchased an orange Every Child Matters t-shirt. You may have seen these shirts. But as our show contributor John Jan can explain now, those shirts are quickly becoming a source of frustration too. John? Hey, good morning, Mike. Here's breaking news. Scammers are basically scum of the earth. And if you didn't know that already, this story will surely infuriate you. During a time of national mourning, those orange Every Child Matters t-shirts have provided a means for Canadians to support Indigenous organizations. But if you've recently purchased one of these shirts yourself, you now have to ask yourself, where did I buy it from? Carla Laird is the Senior Manager of Media and Communications with the Better Business Bureau, and she joins us now. Carla, we're learning that these orange t-shirts have become a top target for scammers. Right. Um, Completely devastating news. And to think that, you know, scammers and opportunists would be trying to take advantage of these very, you know, heart-rending circumstances is, you know, mind-boggling, but at the same time, really not surprising. Because in all of my years, you know, dealing with these kinds of cases, 
scammers will go beyond the lowest point possible. And, you know, it's it's definitely something that has been occurring when we look at all the different kinds of national or even global tragedies that have taken place. Every single opportunity they get, they do capitalize on it. And so with this particular situation, we, we actually received a report recently from a consumer in Surrey saying that they were browsing Facebook Marketplace and saw a sponsored ad that was selling the orange day, um, the orange shirt, the Every Child Matters shirt. Um, when they clicked on the link to, to support the, the, the initiative because they saw in the post that their purchase would actually go towards supporting an indigenous charity based, you know, in, in, in Canada, they realized that the, the link took them to a website that was one not based in Canada, um, was selling shirts um, in U.S. dollars, um, was selling shirts that had no connection to, you know, the actual Every Child Matters campaign. And it was just an opportunity to get people to purchase shirts from that website without actually endorsing the, the, the charity. The proceeds aren't going to the charity in any way. And, you know, that's why they reported it to us, because it was really misleading and, you know, ultimately fraudulent information. Well, I'm glad that the Better Business Bureau got this tip, and whoever was uh, maybe the first to report it, good on them, because they clearly saw that this doesn't look right, they were suspicious, and uh, here we are being able to talk about this. But, Carl, as I'm sure you know, uh, a lot of Canadians aren't that uh, savvy, maybe is the right word for it. And when they see something like this, uh, I I like to believe that most people are empathetic and they want to get involved. They want to do what's right. And so many of them will end up purchasing this without ever knowing until they realize my delivery has not arrived and I've actually never received confirmation. And at that point, it's already too late and the chances of you getting your money back is slim to none. That is actually very true. And that was actually why the, the, the senior, she actually reached out to me. She picked up the phone and she called me because she didn't want to run the risk of sending it in through our scam tracker report and it not get to me in time. So she called and she was explaining that she was actually trying to find a shirt to purchase. She saw where the ad suggested that you know it, her purchase would go towards helping our indigenous peoples. But then when she's on that website, there's no indication or no other mention of the charity the donation process anything along those lines and then doing her own digging she got concerned um got suspicious thinking it was a scam and brought it to our attention um so that is the real truth but while one consumer would have taken that extra step to do that research and do that digging to make sure that her purchase is going where it is claiming that it will go, there are other consumers who will take these ads at face value, make their donations or make their purchases, and ultimately they leave thinking that they have done something good and supported a truly worthy cause, but their money has been redirected to scammers, and then they don't notice until days, weeks afterwards when their package with their shirt has not arrived. Carla, do we suspect that these scammers are Canadians or are they in different parts of the world but just happen to know what's going on in Canada because they might watch the news or they're just keeping an eye out for what's happening? Well, it really does depend, but looking at the the situation that um, the senior reported to us, this website is actually based in the U.S. Um, the, 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 the the shirts that have been advertised, the address that they're using is actually also in Tampa, Florida, to be exact. And it's not even um, their own address. They've hijacked another legitimate company's address that also sells shirts, 
as part of their company structure. And so they stole that company's address. They stole that company's phone number so that just unsuspecting consumers who might just see that information at face value would go ahead and make a purchase without double checking or even thinking it through. And so that's one situation. But generally speaking, these scammers are based all over the world. And we know that they watch the news. We know that they're paying attention to trends, to heartrending news, that especially those that are globally um, um, impactful. They're looking out for those kinds of um, headlines and releases, hoping to see opportunities and jump on them. And this is just another example of that. So I take it then you're talking about things like if there's a natural disaster and then there's a relief effort, scammers will try and jump on something like that. Or if there's another, of course, a great cause for many people around the world to get involved in and you're thinking about donating money, it's those particular opportunities that scammers are always preying on. That is exactly correct. And the two top, um, or at least the most recent examples that came to my mind just listening to you were one, the Australian wildfire. Everyone across the world knew about it. They were devastated by it. They knew the impact that it had not only on the people there, but also wildlife. And there were so many different charity efforts and organizations trying to support, you know, relief efforts there. And scammers set up all these different, you know, um, crowdfunding um, platforms and crowdfunding sites and websites stole pictures from different websites that were posted or from legitimate charities, copied all of their information and tried to get um, people across the world who were looking for opportunities to help with that situation to give money and support something that ultimately turned out to be fraudulent. And an even more recent example, too, is the relief efforts as it related to the COVID-19 situation in India. Mm. There were so many people looking for ways to support and scammers also capitalized on that as well. Right. And we're not saying don't donate because donating is a great thing and you're doing uh, something very valuable to the greater community. But if you're going to donate, make sure you're doing it safely and smartly. And Carla, I'm sure there's a few ways that people can make sure they're being as careful as possible when they're thinking about spending any kind of money online. Yes, absolutely. So, you know, you, you, you will see opportunities to donate. And my thing is, do your research as a donor. Make sure that you're validating the charity that is being mentioned or the organization that's being mentioned. So if they're saying a specific charity name, just double check. You can go to the CRA's website where they have a full listing of all the registered charities across Canada. So that way, you know, you are donating to a legitimate organization you know that at the same time, if businesses are saying that they are you know, supporting charities and proceeds from different transactions will go towards that charity, do your research. Double check with the charity, contact the business to find out how their funding is going to be going to that specific charity that they've identified. And if possible, I always recommend to businesses as well, you have good intentions, but follow it through with good best practices. And so that would mean letting the charity know that you're planning to support them and have that in writing and have something officially set up so that donors looking out there will have peace of mind and comfort knowing that, yes, when I give my money and when I make that purchase, it is going exactly where I, I want it to go. She is Carla Laird, the Senior Manager of Media and Communications with the Better Business Bureau. Carla, appreciate you giving us some time here on the show. Thank you so much. Take care.